Wingstop's doing what they do best, taking flavor to the next level. So when chicken sandwiches only came in spicy and plain, Wingstop said, nah, make it 12 flavors. Lemon pepper chicken sandwich, OG hot, mango habanero. You get the picture? Every famous Wingstop flavor. Now on a new Wingstop chicken sandwich. Try all 12 and find your favorite at Wingstop, where flavor gets its wings. Huh. Muddy Knees Media. Hello and welcome to Series Linked in association with Paddy Power. I'm TV journalist Emma Bullymore and as ever I'm joined by my mate Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. On this week's podcast, we welcome back a global comedy icon. They don't get bigger than Ricky Gervais. He is here to talk about the second series of popular Netflix show, Afterlife. And we'll also hear from Amy from Paddy Power, who has some Tiger King-themed odds for us. You won't want to miss that. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Jeffers, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. It's, it's very nice to speak to you. I mean, we don't get to chat as much as normal. I know, it's strange not going into the studio or seeing you in Soho and hanging around, going to screenings and stuff. But I am very impressed. We're talking currently on Zoom uh, and your house looks pristine and immaculate and arty, all the things that mine isn't. Well, and the other great thing is, this is the last one of the series, we're ending on a high here. We did manage to get this chat in the bag a little while ago and it's with someone who supported us from the start and it's, it's a series that we really, really like as well. So it's great that we've managed to do this. And Ricky is always a brilliant chat, isn't he? He's always very open, very chatty, uh, and he, he really cares about this series. I think he's very proud of it, one of the things he's proudest of in his whole career. Yeah, that's right, and I, and I think this is an also something that people are really looking forward to. They would have been anyway, but I think especially under the circumstances, it's going to be a huge hit. Obviously, millions of people are going to watch it as soon as it comes out, so this is a great taster, the thing to what, listen to before it goes out. So, yes, before lockdown, me and Jeff has caught up with Ricky. Let's listen to him now. Here he is talking about Afterlife. So, Series 1 almost could have been standalone. It ended really nicely. But did you always think this was going to be something that was going to come back? I did, but I also knew that if everyone hated it and it didn't do well and Netflix hated me, that I had to make it standalone in case it was the only one. Which is good because it makes you try harder. You put all your eggs into one basket and then doing two is even harder. But what's great about two is you can explore it more. You've got the characters set up, you've got the world set up. You hit the ground running. So I think two's better than one. The success of it was the scary bit, which is a nice position to be in. That it went down so much better than I ever imagined. I've never had a reaction like it for anything I've ever done. Mainly the emotional reaction to it. In fact, some people were saying, why are you doing a series two? As a compliment. So that, you do think, oh my God, this has got to be good. This has got to be really good. Because you don't want to disappoint the people who loved it. You don't care about the people who didn't. Yeah, I've never had a reaction like it. And the, the big thing that came out of it for me was everyone's grieving. Everyone's been through it or is going through it now. Everyone's got their own form of, not mental illness, but although one in four people suffer from depression or mental illness, and uh, but everyone has got their own fears and worries and neuroses and am I doing the right thing? and uh, Everything from 
guilt to fears of the world. And there's new things coming out all the time. There's another thing to be scared about with the world. Social media, that's a scary new invention for a generation, you know? And it's made me realise that everyone's suffering. You never know. There's a line in series one where Matt says to me, so the next time you get a waitress fired because your soup's cold, no, you just... She might have found out that her mum's got cancer. You know, everyone might be having an off day because of something that's just happened, so you, you never know. And this is about that. This, is, this carries on with the story of a man who has lost the love of his life and doesn't know whether he wants to carry on or not. He's going through the seven stages of grief. He's been through shock, denial, anger, and now he's going through reasoning. Now he's going through, OK, world, what have you got? What, what OK, how am I going to cope? He thinks of ways... He's trying to be a better person. He's trying to make himself feel better. And that's what we're all trying to do. Whether we know it or not, and whether we're going around the houses or getting it wrong or whatever, we're trying to feel good. We're trying to be happy with ourselves. That's what we're trying to do. And then we die. I lost my dad in between Series 1 and Series 2, so watching this was Uh, very different for me. It just amazed me how you capture that. There's a line about... I don't miss doing things with her, but I miss doing nothing with her. And I wonder what people have said to you. You said it's been an amazing reaction, but whether you knew you were going to connect with these people who are going through this experience that maybe you It made me think about it more than I did writing one. Writing one, I didn't know this was going to be taken as, you know, a sitcom about grief and uh, mental well-being. For me, it was a device to get to a place to have this character do stuff so it sort of started off as a high concept thing it didn't start with character like usually most sitcoms start with a character you know um david brent existed way before the office derek existed before derek but with this the concept came first rather like a movie or something like i did a film uh, the invention of lying let's uh, imagine a world where people hadn't evolved the ability to lie what if one person could and that's the film, and then you, you explore that concept. This it was, imagine if you lost everything and were at rock bottom and could quite easily kill yourself, but you didn't. You could do anything. You'd, nothing scares you anymore, because you've always got death to fall back on. I'm going to do what I want, I'm going to punish the world, and I can always fall back on So it started with that concept. Then I had to think, well, what's losing everything? It's the love of your life. That's it, you know, your partner. And then people picked up on that, and I realised that I have gone through grief but it's been the natural order of things you know you start off you're a kid you understand your goldfish isn't there anymore then the cat dies then the dog then your grandparents then your parents i've lost all those but it's the natural order of things it's not like losing a partner too too soon he wanted to be with her till he was old and that's the tragedy and we also discovered as well from the people reacting that that the happier the flashbacks were the sadder it is, because he's, he's he has lost everything. He put all his eggs into one bucket. He says, "I didn't have ambition. I didn't work. I didn't. I wanted to get home and spend every minute of my time with Lisa." And then he says, "I made the right decision." It's heartbreaking. So even he knows in his grief, it's better to have loved and lost than not loved at all, and that's the, that's the truth. And so in the writing process, Ricky, I wondered how you do that. Do you think about people you've lost or do you think about a life without Jane? Is that how you're coming from? Well, that was what it came from, that's the ultimate for me, yeah. And um, there's a lovely line in series one when Penelope Wilton and my friend in the graveyard, she's grieving her husband, Stan, and she says, but I'd rather live 
missing him than have him live missing me. And that's such a beautiful altruistic thing to say. And I'm the opposite. I want to go first, which is selfish, but I want to go first. So it did come from that, you know, your own situation and imagining. I suppose it's the big question Series 1 and Series 2 asks is if you lose everything, everything you've ever loved and a part of yourself, he says in Series 2, I lost a, a piece of myself, I lost all the joy, is life still worth living? That's what it asks. And on the first poster, Series 1, I put, hell is other people. And on the poster for Series 2, I want something like, hope is everything. And I think that's that sort of sums up um, the journey, that uh, as long as you've got hope, it's OK. Teeing up Series 2, really, this is going to obviously come out before to release. I feel like maybe Tony is a little bit less angry in this one and he's maybe a bit more helpful and it's a bit more positive, maybe. Well, yeah, he's not as angry. He doesn't want to just punish the world. He hasn't got that sort of indiscriminate anger that he wants to burn the world down. He still loses it. He don't get better. He's not better, but he's trying to be a better person. He even knows, you know, he gets advice from his wife on video, don't wallow, which then he hands out to other people. You know, he knows the good advice. It's easier to give advice than take it because when you're in that space, logic is out the window. He doesn't know how to feel good because then some are reminding. He's still lost his wife. That's never going to get better. But what he is doing is going, so what, how can I focus on the good bits? And the good bits in life are friends, a dog, fun. There's a scene in two where uh, Matt, his brother-in-law, is worried about his drinking. You know, he's, he's drinking because he, he feels bad and it makes him feel better. For I mean, it, it doesn't make you feel better in the long run. Uh, he says, you know, well, I just stop then, right? He says, uh, oh, Why? Well, it's bad for you. I say, everything's bad for you. He says, well, but, you know, I said, we're all just dying. He says, you know, being healthy is dying more slowly. He goes, well, yeah, well, then you'll live longer. And I go, why? He goes, to do more of the things you enjoy. And I go, I enjoy a drink. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also allowing himself to think about a new relationship in very early yeah. terms. He could have some of the things that made him feel better but he feels guilty he says he feels guilty he feels like it would be he'd be being unfaithful to his wife and it's still early days you know I just I don't I don't think people just snap out of it he likes the nurse but again it's an odd relationship for her as well because she likes this man who is not well you know she thinks there's no reason not to but he's not better He's not over his wife. Um, so, it's again, it's complicated. This is still about getting through. It's about kindness and understanding and tolerance and you get embroiled. You can't not care about things you care about. He says that in one, you know, and you've got to do stuff. The reason he didn't kill himself in the first place is the dog was hungry. That's real to me. I just think if I was going to, I'd make sure I'd, I'd feed the dog. You know, they're still admin. They're still admin. <laughs> and obviously anyone who's a fan of your work gets a kick out of seeing you and Ashley Jensen on screen together again. Was it fun? I know you like to, to work with people that you've worked with before, yeah. but it's so nice to see you yeah, back that, together. Yeah, that, that's great. She's great. And it goes for all of them because when you start in this game, so I worked in an office for 10 years 
I wrote a sitcom about it. And then you have to cast and you, you know, you want to just like the people that you grew up with and you find the perfect people. And then the second series, it's great because you know who you're writing for. Whereas this, I started with knowing who I was writing for because I cast before I wrote it because I've been in the business 20 years. So I know all the people. So when I have an idea, I go, I know who's perfect for that. And I got them all on board before I'd written the series. That's a joy. It's almost cheating as a writer. And I like to work with people I like, particularly in comedy. I think it must be terribly stressful when people go, oh, I hated working with so-and-so. It was awful. It was the worst six weeks of my life. I think, oh, my God, that's just not worth it. I want every day to be fun behind the scenes as well as on screen. And it goes on screen. Everyone gets on. There's some scenes that we couldn't finish because we were laughing too much. <laughs> Literally, there's a new character called Ken Otley and there's scenes with him and me and Tony and Mandeep where we couldn't get through it. Do you have a sort of interest or opinion about amateur dramatics? Because this came up a bit in extras yeah, as well. Yeah, it fascinates me. Again, it's behind the scenes. I've seen like documentaries about Amdram. I like all those things like ego and jealousy and bitterness it's like these people who meet up once a week they have the same feelings as if they were like competing in the olympics like why has she got the lead again well they, the, the director promised me i was the, the you know i love all that i've always been fascinated with the ego i've always been fascinated with that and it doesn't matter whether you're taking the piss out of hollywood stars who are billionaires or people who work in a chip shop and do a production. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same thing. People are jealous of the person sitting next to them, you know, and that, and that fascinates me. And there's a couple other themes that come up in it. I wondered if you had a strong opinion about it. I just wondered, first of all, if you've ever been to yoga with Jane at all. No, I've never. <laughs> I've a never, good yoga scene, isn't it? I've never done yoga. But again, I like the juxtaposition of him trying to do the right thing and be more zen and chill out. But then his yoga teacher is really annoying. Just like he goes to a therapist, but the therapist is a narcissist. So it's... I, I've always been fascinated with the worst person for the job. I, I'm like that in real life. If a cab's late, I think they had one job. They had one job. All you have to do is turn up, mate. Okay. It's, you know, it's like... Um, and I always think... I've got a catchphrase now to, to Jane that's somewhat ironic, but I'm, she knows I mean it. I go, there's always someone who spoils it. Like, we went... <laughs> this weekend, uh, I was in um, Stockholm doing a gig. So I'm gigging. 10,000 people sold out. It should be amazing. We went to a little bar that we've been to before. I throw little bar, bloke talking too loud. I've put earplugs in. I'm angry. <laughs> it's ruined my drink. I'm tweeting. It's like... Exactly, yeah. It's always so... Like, it can never be perfect. Life can be perfect. And I've put that a little bit into Tony that he meets people who's a lot worse off than him. And it makes him think, oh, I'm spoiled. And that's the truth. I can be really annoyed at something. And I think, come on, mate. There's people without homes. Why are you complaining about someone whose voice is too loud? <laughs> so I know I'm being spoiled. But at the time, I think, oh, why doesn't he go next door? You know? <laughs> and you mentioned you tweeted about that. 
Uh, yeah. I wonder what you think about social media, Twitter in particular. Since we last met, we discussed it last time. Do you, do you think it's getting worse? I feel like I don't know because I don't have a bad time on it. I'm a big boy. I don't get bullied on it like some people do, which must be absolutely dreadful. Yeah, I can't imagine being a teenager growing up with Facebook and Twitter and, and everything's there forever. And now everyone wants to hold you accountable, you know, like Chris Rock lost his job as host for the Oscars for some 10-year-old tweets he deleted and apologised for at the time. Now you've got to worry about things that you said 10 years ago. You know, you've got to make your jokes bulletproof for 10 years' time. You know, so there's that side of it. But then you go, ignore it. Because you look on Twitter and you think there's a war going on. You look on Twitter and you go, there's a cultural war going on. Everyone's going to kill each other. And you go out to the real world and it's not true. Life goes on. No one cares about it. It's 0.1% of maniacs, extremists, lunatics who are amplified. So, and they find each other. So if you look at Twitter as the world, you think everyone is an unreasonable asshole, right? But they're not. Even those people who are being unreasonable assholes, they don't act like that in real life. So it's fine. It's virtual. Turn your phone off. Block them. Don't go on to... Who cares? Don't go on Twitter. You don't need to, right? Um, that's not saying I condone the behaviour of some of the real bullies. It's terrible. But... If you don't enjoy it, don't put yourself through it. You don't need to. There's no, there's no real advantage. To, you don't have to be on social media. I use it to my advantage. I don't take. Any, I've never taken anything personally on Twitter. If someone says something, right, uh, and I, I get like maybe one dodgy tweet a week, I get th- thousands of amazing positive tweets, and one dodgy one, I look at their profile and I realise they live in a bin. <laughs> <laughs> You know, why would I get upset by this? But they don't... (laughs) But, like, for instance, Ep6, you talked a bit about transphobia. You're going to get some tweets about that. People are going to get Yeah, because they see the the subject of a joke and think, oh, you shouldn't be talking about that, which is nonsense. I deal with everything in this. Transphobia, disability, race, religion, death, suicide, drugs, alcoholism, everything. There's nothing you can't talk about. As journalists, people say to me, is there anything you shouldn't joke about? Well, I'll say, well, yeah, but you wouldn't say, is there anything you wouldn't write about? Of course you would. You write about anything. It depends what you write. It depends what angle. It depends, is it fair? Is it fair? You know, there's nothing that's taboo that shouldn't be discussed. That's what makes it stay taboo. And if someone's telling you something shouldn't be talked about or joked about, they're hiding something. They're creating a dogma. Again, we've got people almost creating these weird blasphemy laws that you shouldn't make fun of this. That That's ludicrous. You can joke about anything, you can talk about anything, you can discuss anything intelligently or otherwise. You can be an arsehole if you want. It doesn't matter. But no one should tell you that there's things that shouldn't be discussed. It's not true. And there's another small role for someone at their sort of issue, I suppose. Uh, you go to their house and they've had a lot of plastic surgery and Botox. Yeah. I was interested by that character. Is that an issue that you think we've got a huge problem with in society or what, like why you brought that character in, really? Well, again, it's the, the character in it involved. Is she, she's a, a, a young woman played by um, Holly Dempsey who has had botched surgery and, she's having that and she keeps going back to him and it's botching everything. Mm. And she goes, I think I've got a problem. You know, I think it is because, again, 
teenagers growing up think that that's that's the right thing to do. There's with Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah, there is a, there's uh, there's eighteen year olds having Botox for uh, and he says. So I started uh, wrinkles and I goes, what, how old were you? She goes, 20. I go, what wrinkles did you have? You know, who are you doing this for? Who are you doing this for? Yeah, that's the question, really. I want everyone to know that they're all right. Everything I do, this uh, comedy stand-up, the reason I discuss taboo subjects and take people through a scary forest and out the other side is to show them it's all right. We're all screwed up and that's all right, you know? It's nothing to fear about being different or odd. It, we're all odd. We're all different. It's, not, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Going back to what you're saying about casting and sort of having your ideas before you even start almost, TV geeks will notice, ever decreasing circles, Peter Regan, they're, yeah. they're together. Was that just a little that sort a, of wish fulfillment thing? Yeah, for you? that's sort of an in-joke that works out beautifully because you create your characters. To see uh, Penelope Wilton and Peter Regan together on screen again was a, a little joy for me but if you don't know about that it's still great you don't have to it's not reliant on knowing the in joke or the background Peter Egan's a, becomes a sort of regular with a storyline very important to Tony and everyone at the Tambury Gazette obviously Penelope Wilton returns as some I think I think most people's favourite character yeah I sat uh, and watched this one with my boyfriend he was like this is my favourite bit yeah. when they're on the bench and I find in interviews like this all the quotes to show what Tony's going through come from Anne on the bench because it's real wisdom. I sort of agree with her in real life. Do you know what I mean? Because I create all the characters, some I agree with and some I don't. She's she's pretty much a friend you'd want, I think. You know, with all the flaws, she hasn't got so many. And someone he'd never talked to in any other circumstance. Well, probably. it's also about the, um, the kindness of strangers. In this, you know, she, he says... You're a better therapist than the one I wasted my money on, you know, um, because she cares. Because there's something nice about someone with no dog in the fight, at the kindness of their heart, to take time. I think that's the important thing. There is someone to talk to. There's the Samaritans. That's a stranger. Who cares? That's great. Are you talking about caring? I wanted to mention the Golden Globes and the big yep. speech there, which. Yep. Was enjoyed on well. Talk about social media that went everywhere. Millions of people and mad. You repeatedly said in that that you don't care, and I guess that's. I wanted to ask about the writing process. That must be very different. Well, of course, from this. that's. I mean, I think people. What people don't realise is obviously that they know David Bren and Derek and Tony are characters. They don't know that me doing stand up and me at the Golden Globes is a bit of a persona as well. You know, there I play this brash character who's come to ruin the liberal elite's night. I go out with a beer, I say I might be drunk, I say I don't care too much. It's not true. I've, I've honed those jokes, I've made those jokes bulletproof. I've practised them. I'm not drunk, I know what I'm going to say. I'm not there to ruin their night, I'm there to make the people at home laugh. Um, uh, some people fall for the marketing, um, which it is. But uh, having said that, I still go there. I still... I don't pretend it's going to be outrageous and then make it all safe and anodyne and watered down. There's no place I won't go. And I made the decision, the first time I ever did it, do I pander to the 200 egos in the room or the 200 million people watching around the world? And it's no contest. And I think what made this one slightly more poignant and special and uh, viral 
was that that divide's grown over the last couple of years. The people watching at home do feel they're left out and forgotten. The divide between the privileged, it's grown. A lot of the reasons for what's happening in the world politically is because they, they feel that they're not important. They feel that they're, this isn't for them. You know, and it's, there's nothing... The people at home aren't winning awards and they're not millionaires. Why would I pander to making the people in the room even more important? I want the people at home to laugh. And you do that by making it a spectator sport. It would be nausea if I went there and said, oh, you're all so great, you're brilliant. You're all brilliant. Hi, Brad. See, see like, hey, George, you're good. Uh, what, what, that's not fun for people at home. That's not fun. <laughs> Is it it's quite, feels like it's a different sort of test to, say, writing a sitcom. It's almost a test of your nerve to sort of do that in the room. Do, do yeah, well, like? that, that's great. It is very different. It's very different. There's no time for anything other than set up, punchline, laugh. I don't usually write zingers. I don't write zingers in stand-up. I tell stories. I do routines. I explore things. But this is... One chance, one event, one night, what's happened this week, who's in the room, that, you know, they can't really be used anywhere else. That's great. So it's a lot of work for seven minutes. I mean, the payoff is amazing. I mean, there's no audience like that. That's incredible. For a comedian, someone says to any comedian, you've got to write seven minutes of your best jokes. You can't really use them again. It's all about the what's happened uh, this year, with the, the, all the people you're going to are in the room, the most famous people are in the room, right? And 200 million people will watch it. Whew, that's, a, that's a good opportunity, isn't it? So, how does that feel before you go on? You... It, it ruined Christmas. <laughs> I don't know why I said yes. I said no at first. I said no last time. I did it three times. I said no, but they persuaded me again. They did it again. So, this time I told the world it's the last time, so I can't go back on it. I made it part of it. Again, a bit of marketing. This is the last time I'm doing it, so I don't care. And I'm not scared of the people in the room because I create my own labour. So I'm not beholden to them. I don't care what a director or a producer thinks of me because I'm my director and producer. I don't need them. And I think that makes me a better comedian for the people at home to watch because they know I'm not being bought or paid off. I don't care what those people think of me. So that was the last Globes... What about, where are we with Afterlife? I was lucky enough to come down on set. Definitely summer production would like to go again, but I don't know how you feel. Is there a possible third series? Yeah, it's the first time that there's a possibility of a third series. Because normally you only do two. Yeah, Derek, two in the, the special. Office. Uh, and um, I think, yeah, yeah, Derek, The Office, extras. This one, I want to do a third, I think. Because I've never set up such a world before. This, this is a real world. This is a real place. It's a real, it definitely you know, feels like the other characters are really well-rounded. Yeah. So you could maybe the, go off in quite different directions. Absolutely. Every, every path leads to the rest of the world, like real life. Every path leads to a whole new world. Um, and, uh, and how often do you know a character? You've seen those characters for five and a half hours. You don't know anyone after five and a half hours. And you don't know their friends. You don't know their... You don't know... Every... It's an infant... It's a web... It never ends, and you can just keep going. And the more feedback you get, the more you know what you should explore and what you shouldn't. And the world changes, you know, between, you know, a year's a long time these days in the world. Think of what's changed in the last year. It's incredible. Attitudes alone. It's like a virus, our attitudes change. And you know what I mean? Come back and 
bite you and then there's always a uh, an antidote it swings and roundabouts that it's this so I'm I think I would and uh, I love the crew I love the cast I love the characters more than anything I think and uh, I love the dog well, why would you say no to going back to working with a dog that's <laughs> honestly it's great it's just great I have a dog for six weeks it's great Ricky just the last question we normally ask is uh, what, what people are watching on TV is there anything in the last 12 months you'd really like to bring oh about? my god well I haven't watched telly for f- four years but I have watched European dramas from uh, I mean I got into those things from the things like The Bridge and The Killing you know Gomorrah Four Blocks Alex Before We Die Phoenix honestly just these Scandi Noir relationship or serial killers you know it's just this is why this isn't like a a traditional sitcom because the pace is more like a a European drama really but yeah there's some great things around the world Fowder there are some just great um, binge watches happening and not just Netflix you know Walter Presents is great there, there, yeah, there's, some, there's some great things to to seek out Thanks to Ricky, Series 2 of Afterlife will be available on Netflix on Friday the 24th of April. I can't wait for everyone to see it. Time now to welcome back our friend Amy Jones from Paddy Power, who's here with the latest odds to help us predict the future of the small screen. Hiya, Amy. Hello, how are we getting on? All right, it's a strange time, but we're doing all right. And one show has dominated this lockdown more than any other, Tiger King. What odds have you got for us, Amy? Yeah, you're right. It's dominated social media, hasn't it? It's dominated most of my conversations with my friends. (laughs) Probably the main one we've got is who is going to be cast as Joe Exotic in a Tiger King movie which is a fairly frightening thought. I mean, the documentary was enough to take in. But if there is a dramatised version of it, I think I've read, and he is the favourite, that Edward Norton, he's 4-1. to one. And I think I've read that he said he'd be up for doing it. Interesting. I saw Rob Lowe had posted a picture of himself dressed as Joe Exotic on Instagram, which is excellent uh, on many levels. But Ed Norton, what do you think about that, Jeffers? I think it needs to be someone a bit more outlandish. I don't know, he's, he's such a big character, isn't he, Joe Exotic? I don't see Edward Norton... It just doesn't work work for me. What other options have we got, Amy? What are the other odds? Well, when you said outlandish there, the first person that my eyes immediately went to in the odds were Robert Downey Jr. He's 12-1. to 1. Um, Bradley Cooper, 16-1, to 1, not quite as outlandish. Johnny Depp, 20-1. to 1. He's pretty yeah. outlandish. I would back Depp, for sure. Yeah, I could see it with Depp, definitely. That he's, you know, he's played some, some crazy characters, the way he transformed in things like Pirates of the Caribbean, and just his own past, which is pretty colourful itself as well. I think, yeah, I think he could definitely do it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's people in there like Kevin Bacon, he's 4-1, to one. Billy Bob Thornton, he's also 4-1, to one. so they're all kind of on the same level. Brad Pitt in there at 8-1, to one, and like I say, Leonardo DiCaprio 16-1, but they kind of feel a little bit too polished or something. Even in his wildest dreams, surely Joe Exotic could not have imagined Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt being in the running to play him. I mean, that's incredible scenes. I think he'd be a very happy man if he knew that anybody was having this conversation <laughs> right now. And also, there has been this 
spin-off show that came out over the weekend. I'm not sure if everyone's seen that yet. It's called The King and I. But even on that, um, some of the lesser roles, if you like, some of the smaller characters, they were being asked who they'd like to play them in a film. So I think the, the chance of a film is really high and I think, you know, it's just, it's just become such a phenomenon. And actually, the chances of a Netflix spin-off are sky high. But how, you know, who's going to be the centre of it? Have you got some odds on that, Amy? We do, yeah. We have a few uh, odds on Netflix spin-offs and we think that... Carol Baskin is most likely to get her own spin-off. She's only six to four. Um, although, you know, Jeff Lowe, he's four to one and Doc Ansel's around two to one as well. But we, we can see Carol Baskin um, being popular as you, as we've seen pretty much everywhere. But also the one that really made me laugh here at two to one is Carol Baskin to have her own clothing range this year. <laughs> It'd be a lot of cat prints. It would be, yeah. I think I'd probably buy a few bits. I'm always in prints. <laughs> what about you, Emma? Do you, do you fancy some of Carol's clothes? I'm not so into the cat print myself, but I would like to see a sort of ITV2 style, let's follow Carol Baskin around her day-to-day life, see if we can pick up any clues of what's happened to her ex-husband. I'm in. Yeah, me too. I'd be really invested in that because she's fascinating and just like what goes through her mind yeah and what happened to her husband and also the most likely we've got of all the possible spin-offs of this show is joe exotic to release an album that's only 10 to 11 and i could see that happening i've seen people saying they've been jamming to it during lockdown his songs already so you know let's get a full album (laughs) i saw a tiger for number one it's gonna happen it's gonna happen during lockdown amy thank you so much as ever thank you very much for having me i'm jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Getting a road named after you in your hometown, special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games, not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbegambleware.org. Well, that's all we have time for, not just for today, but also for this series. This has been the Series Linked podcast in association with Paddy Power. We've loved bringing this to you. And if you've enjoyed it as well, which we really hope you have, go on, leave us a five star rating and a review. It helps us out so much. And make sure you've subscribed so that when we're back, the next episode will be available to you immediately. For now, though, bye bye. Bye for now. Muddy Media. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy. So we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.